Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast, where we interview people from inside and outside recruitment to give you ideas to help you on your way to a million pound year. Now, over to Adrian Mansfield, the Million Pound Biller. Hi, and welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast, where we interview luminaries from inside and outside the recruitment world. Today, I'm speaking to Steve Guest, who in his 20 years in recruitment is a best-selling author, has run and built recruitment desks in various sectors, and also now runs a successful training business that helps people to get the best out of their own recruitment businesses. In this podcast, Steve talks about his career in recruitment, his best-selling book, Top Biller, The Life of a Recruitment Consultant, and a number of other things from his 20 years in recruitment. So welcome to today's Million Pound Biller interview podcast. I want to thank and welcome to our podcast today, Steve Guest. Steve will talk a bit about himself in a second, but he's he's somebody that's got a number of strings to his bow. He's been in the recruitment business for quite a long time and has a number of areas that he works on. So welcome to the podcast, Steve, and perhaps you'd delight our audience by giving us a bit of an overview of your uh, your background. Thank you, Adrian. Hi, thank you for for welcoming me onto the show. So um, I've been recruiting for coming up to about 15, 16 years now. I started off life from uh, being a holiday rep through to a strategic commodity buyer. I'm a qualified buyer where I was negotiating multi-million pound frameworks and decided to get into recruitment and say about 15, 16 years ago. I recruit for or specialise in commercial construction permanent staff, predominantly across the West Midland. Um, spent a couple of years at, at Hayes at the start of my journey and then went and moved across to set up a new region for a company called Fast Track Management Services. I spent a number of years there and then went back and consulted with them and grew their Birmingham region and opened their Northwest region. Left there in 2019 and basically wanted to continue in a different direction where I've now got a recruitment business, uh, SKS Consultancy Services, where we predominantly work in the construction industry. I'm the author of Top Biller, The Life of a Recruiter, which is my book, which published back end of 2019. And about to, as we say, launch my podcast. And I run a coaching and mentoring program called the 12-Week Recruitment Mastery Program, which launched during the pandemic last year. I think the first launch was middle of June last year. So I think that kind of, in a, a very broad sense, brings you up to date. So in terms of the, what was the driver behind um, the, the top of the look? Because I've read it. It's a very impressive book and it's, it's available on Amazon for all those that want it, but and other places. But where, what was the sort of driver behind that? I think the initial driver was I read a book called Key Person of Influence by Daniel Priestley, and I got to spend a bit of time with him down in London a few years ago. The circles that I mix with outside of recruitment really are very much the entrepreneurial type of individuals that really kind of promote you should have a book, everyone should write a book, you should get yourself out there. Mm. And I was sat there thinking, I wanted to create something that differentiated me from perhaps the rest of the market. I knew at the time when I was thinking about writing the book that where I was working and and what I was doing, I was probably going to go off in a different direction within, say, 12, 18 months. So that gave me a time frame as well. The actual initial reason was for the book to almost become the business card and it becomes the, the brand differentiator for me. I became the recruiter that had wrote the book. And if I'm honest, it's it's just created all new levels of of potential and opportunity. The book has done incredibly well, and I am truly humbled by 
the reactions, the messages, the feedback, the journeys, the reviews. Because I, I tell you a story. A few years ago, I was sat in a room of a, a seminar. There was about 70, 80 people in there. Yeah. And the person running the seminar said, hands up of anyone that's wrote a book in the audience. There's about seven or eight people put their hands up. And he said, and keep your hands up if you've sold more than 50 copies. And all the hands went down. <laughs> and I was sat there just about to start on the journey thinking, 50 books. I'm going to put all this effort in to sell <laughs> less than 50 books. And, and I think, obviously, being your typical recruiter, I was thinking, well, that's not going to be the case. If that's the target, if that's the bare minimum, yeah. then that's what I set out to do. And the other element to, to writing the book was I wanted to – empower the individual i wanted mm. to almost i suppose champion the underdog yeah. i am a very different personality to the average recruiter yeah and the book starts off talking about my journey from being rejected at the start because i didn't fit the profile of a typical recruiter mm. in that i'm perhaps calm considered i'm not loud i'm not flamboyant i'm not overly confident and that was the feedback i'd got from my my first interview when i was told i didn't fit and i think i just wanted to I need to do something that grabs that person that perhaps sits in an office and is the quiet, unassuming type that doesn't jump up to ring the bell or doesn't high five when they've got a placement. They just yeah. carry on doing what they do. I wanted to grab that person and say, do you know what? Even if you are the quiet one, even if you are the person that perhaps doesn't quite fit in, you can still be successful in recruitment. You just mm -hmm. have to deliver on what you get set out to deliver on. Yeah. And I just kind of, I suppose, wanted to change the, the concept or perhaps that initial thought. And it's amazing how many direct messages or emails I've had from individuals that have said I've inspired or I've empowered them in the fact that they've read it and they feel that they're related or relatable to the content where yeah. they are that quiet one in the office. And they've always yeah. felt that they didn't quite fit in. But actually reading the book has meant that they're now looking forward to getting back into work Monday. Yeah, because they've they've got belief in who they are and how they are, and that that's huge for me. Mm. Because recruitment isn't about being the loudest or the most confident in the room. It's a service orientated industry, yeah. and it's about delivering on what you can deliver on, and and being open and honest, and being consultative. Absolutely. And I think that's quite often the biggest part that's that's sometimes quite lacking. Yeah, and it's interesting, and you and you mentioned. I mean, absolutely, I agree and echo 100% that sort of scenario. The the brash city trader sort of view of a recruitment consultant, you know, invariably they're not the ones that go into the long term growth and the potential opportunities that that brings to them in terms of the business. They're the kind of get in quick, make a quick buck, and run away again, which doesn't yeah. doesn't build sustainable businesses. Frankly, I absolutely agree with that 100%. Yeah. And it was interesting when we were chatting before the podcast. You mentioned about your previous guys working in the uh, in the buying market and the procurement space, sort of yes. like having become a gamekeeper from a poacher or a poacher, a poacher from a gamekeeper, whatever the phrase might be in this case. But it was interesting when you were talking about the idea of that component part that you were working on, particularly that one area, and your business was yeah. building buying millions of them. But you weren't the sort of person that just went down to that. Okay, give me a price for those and try and try and shave off a couple of pence off the suppliers by looking at the kind of banging the cost. You went back to the raw material level and actually brought it forward and, and went to that level of detail so you knew your market. As a buyer, or at least how I was trained as a buyer, I was dealing with large scale, large framework contracts and projects. And we had to make sure that the, I suppose, the ability to negotiate was in the detail. And, and the project you were talking about there was I had a contract for gunmetal fittings, which basically mm. connected pipe work underground 
on utility projects. And whilst you could go to the companies that provided the end product, you understood what the price was and what they looked to charge. Mm. And you worked with that company to understand how they built that price up. And you'd go back to the nth degree, as you say, to understand raw material costs, shipping costs, and then the manufacture of, and all the elements that go in between in terms of labor and man hours, how many individuals within that foundry are used to create that end product to be able to then negotiate a percentage marginal markup for the client Hmm. or the company. And then you understood what you were willing to pay and what you could pay. The level of detail in that, I think, certainly gave me a good grounding to understand that actually, if you prepare properly, if you take the time to really understand your audience or your market or your sector, as they say, the devil is in the detail. You understand that it gives you great knowledge and it gives you great power to be able to have the confidence to then deliver on service. Yeah. What I learned as a buyer over the, the years was that I was constantly let down by salespeople. <laughs> People would say they would call, they would turn up, they would deliver on this, they'd come back and complete tenders or documentation or come back with value-added elements and and you constantly be let down of people not turning up not showing up or not calling when they said they would yeah my very nature and character is that i like things to have order i like things to have structure and specifics Mm. and when things don't happen i get very frustrated (laughs) and it, it really puts me into a really uncomfortable position i suppose you'd perhaps say i'm almost borderline ocd in the way that i am as a person and the way that i work And I struggle sometimes when other people don't work in that manner. Mm. And I think going from buyer to salesperson, when I I changed tact, I basically looked at the the very basics of what deliverables can I achieve that is good service, but actually will make me stand out from the crowd. And and all those elements, which are really simple in things that like, if I said to my client, I'd call at four, I'd call at four. I said to my client, I'd deliver on three to five CVs by Friday. That's what I would do. Hmm. If I couldn't do that, I would still contact them and say, look, I haven't been able to get you three to five CVs. I've got you two, hmm. but this is the reason why. And this is what I've done to try and find you the three to five. Yeah. And actually, you start becoming the consultant and not the recruiter. Absolutely. Because you're feeding back to the clients actually what the market's saying, not necessarily what they expect to happen. Hmm. And I think from a very early start, that's what made me stand out from the crowd funnily enough when I was was working as a buyer I got trained on negotiation over a three-day course away from the office and it was an outside external consultant and the, the guy that ran it I mean he was phenomenal but he was a salesman coaching buyers yeah and it was brilliant it was I think the first day they they recorded you in a negotiation meeting and Obviously, they trained you over three days. They talked you through all these various concepts and the way to negotiate, the way to ensure that you potentially get the best price and the best service with the best value. Mm. And then they recorded you on the end of the third day and then compared the two. (laughs) It was awesome. And and I owe a lot to those three days because it was very well run. And the guy that was running it, I remember one point he was saying, you should be negotiating everything absolutely everything he'd negotiated deals with his local supermarket that if he was to shop there every month for 12 months what discount could he get and he gave like the average spend each week of what he would spend (laughs) yeah he said he'd walk into a shop and negotiate on on a pair of socks 
because he enjoyed the negotiation and he was always interested to see how the other party reacts. Yeah. No, and I mean, often I, we don't I, do that. No, and I, I know particularly in, in the recruitment market, I was chatting to somebody, in fact, on, on one of these podcasts the other week about the situation regarding the way a recruiter stroke consultant works in, in the market when they're, particularly in the current market when it's quite tough out there, you get into this sort of mindset that you're, you get a job on and almost immediately go, brilliant, thank you very much, Mr. Client, and put the phone down. And actually, that's the start of the negotiation because that's when you start to need you, you need to click into that consultancy piece about, well, Mr. Khan, thank you very much. We'll work on this, and this is how I'm going to work on it. This is what I'm going to do for you. These are the steps I'm going to take. All this sort of thing, and and then we wonder as consultants why our clients are sitting there going, well, why are all these? Why are you coming up with all these difficulties? It should be easy. I mean, you put this, you just put the phone down on me 30 seconds after taking a job on, and yeah. and I'm not getting any CVs off you. Proper negotiation with the client in terms of. We don't feel valuable enough in our skills to be able to sit with a client and say, great, that's the client. Let me just chat to you about what is difficult in the market at the moment, even in the current market where we are, you know, what's the, what's the third phase of the applicant rich, but candidate poor. There's lots of people out in the market, but the actual key people aren't necessarily out there. And you need to make the clients aware of that. And that consultative bit for recruitment, I think, has been lost over the last number of years as yeah. people start to get away from the day-to-day skills of it. I think because the the setup of the way recruiters are perhaps managed or I suppose instructed has, mm. has changed a lot. And a lot of recruiters I speak to coach, mentor, and just have a general conversation with. It's almost that, I suppose, fear of missing out. They're that quick to register a vacancy or register a candidate that sometimes they'll forget to actually pre-qualify properly yeah. and agree things in a methodical, orderly fashion where actually they've understood that yes, it's a definite role. Yes, it's been pre-qualified. Yes, we've got terms agreed <laughs> and everything ticks all the boxes. It's that rush to think, I've got the vacancy. Now I can go and find some great people. I'll get some CVs off straight away and we can box that off. And then that fee can go on that board. You've, you've rushed through the process, but actually you've not asked the proper questions yeah. that have made you understand whether actually it's whether the value of your time is worth spent working on that particular role or that particular candidate. Yeah. And I think quite often that's where a lot of recruiters fall down because it becomes about the fee. It doesn't become about the service. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in this. You know, one of the things I got taught first day in recruitment, you know, I've been in the business now 20 years, but when I first started out in recruitment, first day as a, a fully-fledged recruitment consultant, I was given my own P&L. So I was given, okay. I wasn't measured on the P&L, but the way the company I was working for at the time ran its business Every desk had its own P&L. So you, in essence, became your own little business on day one. Now, yep. your commission scheme was different depending on your level. But in essence, you had that P&L uh, responsibility from day one. So you could almost see what your business was doing on a month-by-month, week-by-week, year-by-year basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've taken that forward throughout my career. I believe even when I've been working for an agency, when I worked for myself, it was obviously more, more apparent. But when you're a recruitment consultant, you've got to see, I believe you've got to see yourself as a little business even inside of the biggest agencies, even inside, inside a Hayes or a, a Deco or one of those, because you've got to decide, is the return on investment that you're putting into that job worth the time? Because if you've got Absolutely. a certain amount of hours in the week and you're taking on rubbish roles with no qualification and no real knowledge about whether you're going to be able to fill them or not against maybe 10 or 15 other agencies, then I'd argue the return on investment is going to be pretty poor. Yeah. And your time is being badly spent personally on something that just won't fill out the, that stat at the end of the month. You'll get, you might hit numbers, 
you know, you might get a job on and therefore be able to hit KPIs of core stats and all this sort of stuff. But actually, the, the pound, shillings and pence, as we call them, is not going to hit the boards because you're just not going to fill those roles as much as you would do. So I believe that idea of negotiating at the start of a, of a job and taking it on properly and then actually almost being unafraid, as I'm sure you did in a number of your negotiations, to walk away from something and say, look, that's just not, I just can't do that. I'm sorry. There is too many issues here that I can, you're not prepared to overcome for me to work on this. Therefore, yeah. I'm going to and go and say, no, thanks very much, even in a difficult market. It's also a really powerful position to be. And if you, if you can sit there and say, thanks, Mr. Client, for giving me the opportunity to work on. I'm just going to take the next five to 10 minutes to make sure I've understood the opportunity properly. And you go through a set plan and set of questions that mm. allow you to go and work on that role properly. If your client is in a position where they say, do you know what, Steve, I haven't got time to go through that. You know what I'm after. Just go and find me some CV. That isn't the type of client you want to be working with because you need them to understand the true value of what you do as a service and the ability to go and match that brief properly. Ultimately, if you don't do things right at the start, if you don't do the detail and the prep at the start, you will constantly be going backwards and forwards with incorrect specs, incorrect briefs, mis-selling of the company or the role, mis-selling of the candidate and the position. And you're constantly really across, if you're doing that across multiple vacancies, your time isn't very well spent at all Yeah. because you'll be going back over things that you should have already done and maintained. So if you could just get into the habit of having a clear and precise way of taking a job spec, meeting a new client, pre-qualifying a candidate, and you go through a process, If people get frustrated on the fact that you are detailed, thorough and, I suppose, processed, then that's their problem, not yours. Yeah. You need to be able to put the phone down and be 100% comfortable either selling an opportunity or talking about a candidate and their reasons for looking. And look, I mean, that, that is just me. That is me because I would rather spend a week preparing for something and being... In a, in a meeting where I might not even speak in the meeting, but I know if asked or questioned, I can back everything up with numbers, yeah. facts, figures and everything else. Sure. It's the same with internal meetings here. I will plan and prep to make sure everything's accurate, correct. And I can be in a position where I'm not embarrassed in a meeting or in a conversation because I like to have everything in order. Mm. Now, that's not always the case. I think we discussed it, didn't we, <laughs> yeah. um, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago. I almost prep to the nth degree, which can sometimes be a downfall. Don't get me wrong. And I can be a little bit slower sometimes in getting to the the finish line. But everything has a logical process the way that I work. Mm. And I like to be comfortable in knowing the audience, the conversation, the background, the potential, the, I suppose, ideal scenario, the realistic scenario and the walk away scenario. Yeah, That's just me. And I think I think my journey over the 15 years of of recruiting has brought something that little bit different to perhaps what the norm has been within the market. Certainly Mm -hmm. the people I've worked with and managed and and mentored, it's certainly been able to add value because I can bring something different to your, I suppose, normal recruiter. Yeah, I mean, you and I spoke about this. I'm, I'm a slightly different angle in terms of the the recruitment, I suppose I'm more of the knee jerk, do things on the on the cuff. I'm quite happy walking yeah. into a meeting un, relatively unprepared or what other people might feel unprepared and then deliver on the day. I was the person that did his homework last minute.com and that kind of thing. But that being said, I've still come back to key processes in my recruitment program 
whenever I'm yeah. doing a job, I do take that time out. And actually, you know, when I'm taking on a, a new candidate, a new vacancy with a client, there is a certain lo- level of stuff I will go through with a client to ensure that I've got the right information to go away and do the job properly. And part of that is things like a statement of work of what I'm going to do for the client. Some of it's about the job and getting more detail about what they're looking for and the, and the nuances of the role and things like that. There are certain things I still do, even as a, even if you like, as an off-the-cuff recruitment consultant, which is possibly at the different end of the spectrum to you, you know, I still think there is a middle ground there where you can, you can use these tools to benefit you and to benefit the client. And it doesn't take a lot of work to pull together a kind of a single-page document that you're going to work to every time you get a new vacancy on that has certain criteria that you want to pull out of the client. And frankly, it's that little marginal gain thing, isn't it? If you do that, you will look significantly different to everybody else in the market that doesn't even bother with that. They go, I've got a job on, brilliant, put down the phone, start looking at to find, find candidates. And the first candidate they call, they suddenly go, I haven't got the answer to that one. Oh, I'll, I'll wing it or I'll blag it or I'll change it. And you go, well, hold on. Five minutes on the call with a client would have got that answer for you and had yeah. that candidate call much better prepped and much better delivered no matter which end of the spectrum you're at, that's got to be a better model to, to be operating to. So yeah. I think, and equally, you know, we're talking now not to people like yourself and I who've got 18, 20 years in the business or more, but if you're starting out in recruitment and, and, and particularly in a market like this, those are the crutches you can work to. Those are the things you can sit there without much experience almost and just put yourself and go, right, how do I, how do I build a desk? Well, I'll, I'll start with understanding getting a brief from a client and making sure that I get the brief every brief I get from my client I'm going to get absolutely all the information I can get from that person Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to take that away and I'm going to find really good candidates so I can brief the candidates well and then when I go back to the client I've got good brief candidates it's not going to you're not going to be able to place every role you take on but you're going to have a better position in that that way the return on investment is going to be better doing it that way than it would be just going great I've got a role on now call all the candidates I can and running away without information you need and it's and it's the basics. Yeah. And and I take on board what you say. I mean, I I am very different to most recruiters, as we've said. And mm. me trying to turn a flamboyant recruiter that is about the relationships and not necessarily about the process, trying to turn that person into someone like me is not a good way to be. And mm. it's not a good position for me to try and do either. Mm. Because the moment that person suddenly becomes process procedure and structure they lose all enjoyment for actually why they're doing the role yeah it's about finding that balance to say if we can just i suppose add an element of structure to this still have your client conversations and your candidate conversations how you have them but just get the basics right or get the basics better and Mm. look at what you do and how you do it and assess whether it's covering everything or are you having to go back and ask more questions I remember when I first started recruiting and I would spend time on the phone to a client or candidate and I would get off the phone and I would perhaps say out loud, oh, I forgot to ask that. Oh, I forgot to ask this. And my manager at the time would say, well, bring them back and ask the question. And quite often you'd sit there feeling a bit embarrassed thinking, I can't ring them back. I've just spent 10 minutes asking them all these questions. Mm. I'm going to look like a right fool if I ring them back and ask something else. But I had to sit there and make or ask the next question. And, and I think that moment of I can't ring them back, I suppose, almost built in the fact that I wanted to be as thorough as possible on the first call. Yeah. So I didn't look like the recruiter that forgotten to ask these questions or I had to keep going back mm. and then I'd frustrate my client. 
So the actual initial first call, that prep, that pre-qualification call, for me, is the most important. Yeah, absolutely. Because you get it right and everything else should actually move relatively easily because you have all the, the facts and you've challenged all the pre-qualification um, areas to know what you're doing. No, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. So so just moving on a step then. So you took the chance. So you've, you've gone out on your own. You've you've got your own little business going. You've got this uh, mm-hmm. book that's out there and doing really well. And then you decided in the middle of the COVID recession to set up a, a recruitment mastery program. Yeah. What, uh, what, <laughs> what was the reason behind the, with that? And how, and how has it gone? So basically when, when the book published, so November 2019, at the time I had gone a different direction. So it's me and my wife uh, recruiting and just doing day-to-day permanent recruitment. Mm. I decided I was going to take six months out of just doing day-to-day recruitment. And then at the end of the six months, I was either going to set up a, another agency and start again or become a third-party consultant to local businesses. Mm-hmm. The six months ended just as COVID hit, so <laughs> March time. Yeah. And I was sat there thinking, well, it's probably not the right time to do either. Do we just carry on doing the day-to-day recruiting and we'll see what happens? And it was second week of April. I put a post out to say, there's any recruiters out there that need a bit of a cuddle, a bit of a rant, a chat, a catch-up, uh, whatever it might be. Because there's lots of people on furlough and lots of mm. insecure recruiters. I'm going to clear out my diary next week, book in for a, a free 30-minute Zoom call, and we can just have a chat, see where we're at, and, and come up with some ways of working or some plans or just, as I say, have a general discussion. And I didn't think it would really kind of come up to much, if I'm honest. I thought it would be 10 or 12 people. And it would be people that I already knew or previously worked with. And it ultimately turned out to be 62 people. Wow. And it was, it was global. It, there were people there from China, New Zealand, South Africa, Switzerland, Hong Kong, Japan. The list was crazy. And it was a, a truly exhausting week doing back-to-back 30-minute Zoom calls with recruiters that I hadn't spoken to before. Yeah. And you've got a small window to understand where they're at and what their struggles or issues were. And at the end of the week, what it basically told me was all the struggles that I suppose I almost felt were probably local or even just within the UK were actually global. All the conversations I was having, I suppose, got me thinking on a much bigger scale than mm. perhaps I had done the six months previous. So the construction market, Certainly the perm market in construction had pretty much stopped. So I locked myself in, in my two-man office for about 10, 10 weeks, I think it was. Because of the detail and the way my brain works, over the last 15 years, I have got endless notebooks, copious amounts of notes and detail and documents that I've created. And, and I set about creating an online 12-week recruitment mastery program which is basically four to six, seven videos per module, 12 modules that talk you through the whole recruitment process and and things outside of the recruitment process. So things like mindset, motivation, dealing with rejection, along with obviously the elements of each part of the process. There's 40, 45 downloadable documents. There's a 170 page workbook. And I wanted to create something that was really done to empower the individual again. Mm. So it wasn't aimed at selling to 
businesses where they could then put their staff through the training. It was aimed at the individual that was perhaps sat in an office of maybe five or six recruiters thinking, I need a little bit more help here. Or how do I get to that next level? How do I step up the way that I work currently to achieve new levels of performance? And that's what I wanted to create. I wanted to empower the individual, get them to invest in their own self-development to then push on to obviously further their, their recruitment career. The first program was launched in June. I then ran the second launch September and we've just started the third launch, which was the back end of February. So mm. we've just we're just coming towards the end of week two. And it's been great. It's been the feedback's been excellent. I've had some some really glowing testimonials. We've had people go through the program that haven't actually started in recruitment yet. And I've had people that have been recruiting for 13, 14 years go through it. Mm-hmm. And they've all come out having achieved more gained greater value, perhaps thought about things that they've either never done before or perhaps did two or three years into their journey and have since forgotten everything yeah. they did. Yeah. If nothing more, it's given accountability and it's given a new lease of life to individuals that have said, Do you know what, I've needed that because I've needed that, I suppose, that third-party consultant that they can bounce off. Some of the conversations I've had is certainly from a recruitment perspective, if you're sat there and you feel like you've lost your mojo and you've lost your motivation, quite often that individual won't go to their line manager or someone within their business to say, I'm not feeling very motivated today. I don't, I can't really get started. I don't really know what to do because the the chances are they'll be put straight onto underperformance and managed out within (laughs) three months because they've dared say that they're not hundred percent committed to making it work. Yeah. And as I say, that the program has given me as much value as it hopefully has to everyone that's gone through the, the course. This launch, we've, I've teamed up with three other people within the recruitment industry. So the course has got bigger. The program's got better. There's, we've created more value. Mm. Um, and, and I'd like to think going into 2021, there's, there's a number of individuals that have, have joined us that will come out bigger and stronger and actually be better in 2021 than when they started. I mean, I, I just love the idea of the fact that it's a recruitment program for the individual and the individual buys into doing it because so often in recruitment, you get training provided by your company. And obviously that generally is only in good times anyway, because when people have got disposable income, they can, in the company, they generally look, oh, we can spend a bit more on training now. Yeah. So as a recruiter, they're taking the control of your own destiny by going on something like this program where you're the owner of that program, you're buying into doing it you know you see it in a lot of other industries you know people in accountancy do it solicitors generally come through but they still do cpd hr Mm -hmm. people even do cpd which is their own volition to go and do those courses and i think so infrequently in recruitment we see people taking control of their own careers and signing up to a course like this where it's the individual deciding to do it for themselves to better themselves almost independently Mm -hmm. of their company and frankly that gives you that skill set that you can then decide what you want to do with it. It's not something that the company's given you that they can kind of say, well, look, you're, I've taken yeah. on this opportunity. I'm going to use it to build myself up and get those gains that I'm going to either over my peers in the business or go out and do something myself. But it gives them that, that ownership of it. And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect if you're buying it and owning it yourself, you're going to have much more buy-in to actually deliver it and work on it than you perhaps would have done if the company says, go and do this training course. Massively. And um, my experience of 
company paid training from, from a recruitment perspective. And I've, I've sat there and, and been through it. Consultants will sit in a training program, whether it's over a day or two days or even longer. Mm. More often, the recruiters sat there thinking, I don't want to be here. I actually want to be back in the office making calls where I can make some money. This is making me no money at all. And it's a waste of my time. Yeah. And you can see the kind of glazed look over consultants' faces where they're sat in a training room thinking, I just, I just want to get back to my desk. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was create something that, yes, empowered the individual. Yes, made the individual think, do you know what? I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to pay some money so I've got some skin in the game. And actually, I'm going to turn up to every live session. I'm going to watch the videos. I'm going to do the, the homework, work through the, the workbooks and the, the tasks that are involved because it's about me. It's not about anyone else. Mm-hmm. I actually had one mentee join the, pro, the second program, I think it was. All right, might have actually been the first one. And their very reason conversation was m- with me was, I'm paying this for me because I want to I be the top billing consultant in the company. I want to do it of my own volition. I don't want people around me knowing I've paid for training to get there. I want to do it quietly in the background, invest in myself, get better, and then show it through the figures that I make and the fees that I make. And that person did go out and achieve what they said they <laughs> were going to achieve. But that is about the personal motivation. It's about the fact that that's, they had a goal. They knew where they needed to get to, but actually they had the, the oversight to go and invest in themselves to get there and i think it's a relatively new concept for recruiters because that's certainly a hurdle i've had to to deal with most recruiters certainly in the uk expect or there is an expectation that the recruitment business or company will put them through a training course or training scheme which is fine and that's that's my history as well that's wherever i've worked that's what's Mm. happened and there's very few recruiters that will sit there thinking do you know what i actually want to make me better Mm. and i want to personally invest i've invested outside of recruitment in my own personal development and it is by far the best thing i've ever done yes i've paid for courses that haven't worked and i've paid for some fantastic courses that have kind of pushed me up um no end in terms of levels experience and everything else and actually what I've found from it is the people you start to surround yourself with, the people that are investing in themselves, actually make you more accountable quite often than anything else that you're learning yeah. or educating yourself in around it. Because you're putting yourself in a group of motivated, ambitious individuals that are all in the same place. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that is no, extremely yeah. powerful. Mm. With the engagement levels, what I've found, I have had a few people go through the programme that have been paid for by the companies. And I'm certainly not knocking it. I think some of the companies I've worked with and had conversations with are ambitious brands and, and businesses, and they want their staff to do really well. And I think it's a good thing that they invest in the training. But what there is an obvious observation in the consultants that pay for themselves turn up to absolutely everything, and they, they rinse every little bit of detail, every ability to ask a question or make a call or use their strategy calls with me to their nth degree. Mm. The people that perhaps have been paid for by their company will drip in and out, mm. dip in and out, sorry. And they don't necessarily have the same motivations. And, you, yeah. and you'd expect that because they haven't paid for it themselves. But I, I don't get me wrong, I don't don't I, I will never knock a company that wants to invest in its staff. I think that's a great idea. I just think mm. it's as an individual you taking ownership of that spend, whether that's your own personal funds going into it or it is your company saying to you, 
we've prepared to put some money up here. You source the course that you think is best for you and we'll we'll help support it, whether that's full cost course or whether that's some money towards it. I think the mm-hmm. I think the the move to an individual taking control of their own career in recruitment, as I say, is the case in accountancy and other professional careers, is mm-hmm. is a really good one. I think and the opportunity for somebody to say, Yeah, I'm gonna do this because it makes me better, irrespective mm-hmm. of what that does for anybody else around me. That's this is for me, this is for my my personal future. Well, I mean, that's it. And I also saw, um, I suppose, a little bit of a gap in the market in that what I found in 2008 when I was setting up Fast Tracks West Midlands region, mm. recruiters, it was UK recession, market was hit hard, lots of recruitment agencies going out of business. And there was lots of recruiters that found themselves out of work that then set up on their own and started to build for the future. And the same is now. There's lots of recruiters that have perhaps been made redundant, um, been let go after furlough and, and various things. And they've gone out and set up on their own and, and all credit to them for doing it. But I wanted to create something that I could say to new business owners, come and work with me for 12 weeks. I can get you to a position where your company is robust and set up in the right way. And you as an, as an individual have a certain way of working that then is scalable. Yeah. And my conversation with these recruiters has been, if you go through the program and you come out having seen the value, which I'm sure you will, hmm. I would like to be able to sit there and say, okay, every new hire that you take on, every new recruiter, you will come back and put them through the program as well because you understand the process. Yeah. You understand how it works. But actually, it means your company has a specific way of working yeah, and it means it's scalable. Hmm. And then everyone goes through the program, which is good longevity for me because you get repeat customers. But actually, everyone within the program understands the whole value piece with what the Recruitment Mastery Program was set up to do. Yeah, and everybody's, everybody's using the same tools to build that business. So obviously, that's sort of that's what you're doing today. But how are you, how are you feeling about the future of the market and, and particularly the future of Mr. Guest and his businesses areas? So you've got a number of different irons in the fire. But what, what do you see in the next 12 months? How do you see the next 12 months going from a recruitment perspective? I, I'm genuinely very optimistic i mean that is me anyway i can tend to see opportunity rather than hurdle and i'm always there to to perhaps see the positive side so i am quietly confident um we've as we we're talking off air weren't we just before we're, we're adding new elements to our business and what we can do and what we can provide we've taken consultant on that started with us in january um it's busy Mm. Things are happening. The conversations are confident. They're positive. Things are happening. Um, we're confirming placements, which is obviously always great yeah. in recruitment. <laughs> um, I am the type of person that likes to grab things by the horns and just say, let's go for it. Yeah. I'm never one really to perhaps shy away. And I think you've got to make it happen. It doesn't just come to you. And I think the market, yes, it is tough. Yes, it has elements of difficulty in the fact that people aren't necessarily in their offices they're not as easily contactable as perhaps they would be pre-pandemic but you find new ways of working you build things like personal brands and you create things that allow you to market in different ways to attract a bigger audience and it's exciting I think you make it what it is and I completely understand it can sometimes feel overwhelming and I have days where you do second guess and you do have that self-doubt and you sat there thinking, am I doing the right thing? But ultimately, you've just got to not let that last very long 
yeah. and almost give yourself the proverbial kick up the backside and say, come on, what are we going to do today? What can we achieve? What can we do? So, yeah, I mean, the long-winded answer to your question is yeah. I'm very optimistic. I'm very confident of a, of a good year. The conversations are very positive. The confidence is starting to come back, I think, with the clients and candidates that we're talking to. I think it will be a tough road in parts, mm. but it's about spotting the opportunity and not necessarily stopping at the first hurdle or the first no that you get. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo a lot of that. And it's, and it's, you know, all about impact. And I do like that idea of the fact that, you know, we're all going through it. I mean, you and I have been in this market now for this business now for far too many years, frankly, as our grey hairs will testify. But, yeah. you know, everybody has those days where it's just feeling you're not doing it or you're not getting the results you expected to get out of that particular day or that even that week or even that month, potentially, particularly yeah. in the current climate. And I think the moment mo- you mentioned there, it's just it's having that word with yourself. It's that quiet aside just go right okay let's go back to brass tax and it comes back to your point about process let's just trust the process you know you see these people in and i'm a big believer in crossovers between sport and business and you see these guys that are going through bad times in their sports careers and the constant refrain you hear from coaches and people in, in the market and the individuals themselves is trust the process yep. so i think in recruitment that's the key part of it if you've got your own process if you've got something that works for your particular business you know, if you're having those dark moments, go back to that almost. Go back to that process and reset, realign, and then just keep coming back again with that process, process, process. Um, and it 100%. comes back to the idea of getting the training and getting things like your program in place to allow you to help refine that process, and then it will then you can build from it, really. Yeah, well, I often say, and you, you hear the, the term talked a lot, I think, in recruitment, where you say control the controllables. Mm. There's so many things that are outside your control as a recruiter. But there's a lot of things that you can do. And if you focus on the areas that you can control, you understand the numbers, you understand the KPIs that you work to, you understand the process and how to get from prequal to placement. You, you know how many calls you've got to make to register the vacancies, mm. how many vacancies you've got to get CVs to. If you focus at the front end, the fees and everything else will take care of themselves. Yeah. Quite often that I've found over the years is the consultants that spend all their time focusing on that end or the end product or the result is generally the consultants that will have one person for one interview at one company and everything, all that pressure is on that one person getting the job. And when it falls down, sudden panic sets in and they think, oh my God, what do I do now? Because that was the fee that was going to get me to my target. Now I'm X amount short of my target. I'm going to be in all sorts of trouble and I've got nothing else happening. Yeah. But actually, if you just focus on the, how many CVs have I got to get out each week to ensure that I make enough interviews to get enough offers to get the placements? Same from a, a temp perspective. If you focus on that element, the fees will just happen because you're doing enough activity to generate the numbers. Yeah. It's not, it's, as, as I've often said about recruitment, it's not rocket science. It is a numbers game. It's doing, it's knowing your numbers and working to those numbers and the, the results will, will eventually come. So just to round up for the, today's chat, and thank you very much. That was really, really insightful, and I got lots out of it myself, and, and hopefully there's some, some really key pieces there for people to take away who are listening. Obviously, the, the name of the, the podcast is The Million Pound Biller, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. So what piece of advice, advice would you give somebody today that would be helping them to on their route to a million pound year? For me, I mean, we've covered a lot of what I, I kind of use, and that is just to 
it's to focus on the basics. The method is in the detail. As we say, control the controllables and do it well. Mm. Do your prep, concentrate on the upfront consultative service and the rest will follow. Absolutely. Because as I say, you, you deliver on service, people will keep coming back to you. And that's the key. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Well, Steve, thank you very much for your time and your, uh, your insights today. It's been really useful. And I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot out of that. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing you. And where can, where can people find you if they want to get hold of the Recruitment Mastery Program or the book or all that kind of stuff? Where can, where can people find you? We've got the, the free Recruitment Mastery Facebook group. People are obviously free to, to come and join and say hello. We're up to about a thousand members now, which is great. Uh, I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is generally the, the first point of call. Brilliant. Great stuff. Well, thank you again for your time and uh, we'll look forward to speaking again in the future. Thank you, Adrian. A pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed listening to that and I'm sure you got a lot out of the conversations with Steve. If you want to discuss this podcast with me, you can hit me up on all the usual social media spots. I'm at Million Pound Biller. And I look forward to coming back in the next couple of weeks with our next interview. And in the meantime, if you want to get more information, then our next podcast will be out this week, the usual Coffee Break podcast. If you like this podcast, it'd be great if you could like and review us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And until the next time, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey.